Good morning, Northbrook. Today our reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Clodia and the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit, and grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. It's great to be with you all. Melissa, thank you. You got the one with all the names, and so you did great. Uh, yeah, uh, a couple things. Uh, one of the things I, I just, again, feel led to do this morning is I just want to offer you uh, a welcome, and I want to just kind of be unified with you in the welcome we all need from Jesus, that as we come in here this morning, uh, we come in here with all kinds of different things on our hearts and minds, all kinds of a different Sunday uh, that we've started, and that as we come into this place, Jesus welcomes us. Uh, I was reminded, as we were singing that last song, I was reminded of a vision I had during a worship service, um, I don't know, 12 years ago. We were just, it was a really sweet time, really encouraging. It was a service where we were celebrating God's grace and, and people's lives in very unique and particular ways, and I just, the Lord just gave me this picture of me uh, before Jesus' throne. And uh, as you can imagine, I, I was like there in my shame and my sin, and I just felt like very, I felt very unworthy to be there. I felt like I am not supposed to be in this place. Um, and then I felt Jesus just say, hey, because of me, you're welcome. Because of me, you, you get to be here. And, uh, and it was just obviously, again, as you can imagine, just such an encouragement uh, to my soul in that moment. Uh, and that is how Jesus welcomes you this morning. That's how he welcomes me. I need that welcome this morning. I need that welcome from a long day yesterday, from a morning where there's not an, an amount of coffee that's going to do the trick this morning. Um, and it's just a, a, a hard press uh, to get here. I need to be welcomed and answer the welcome of Jesus. Uh, and, and so do you. And by God's grace, he offers it. Uh, his arms are open wide. I, I was hearing another pastor when he was talking about welcoming people, and he's talking about how there's a tradition in the church where the doors were painted red, and, and that was because everything on this side of the doors is because of the blood of the cross. 
Like we have, we have no, we have no merits. We have no, we haven't earned anything. But, but what, what we get to embrace and enjoy and respond to here is all grace. None of you have figured it out in a way. None of you have made all the right decisions. None of you have made all the right decisions this morning. Uh, but Jesus did. He did on your behalf, and he did on my behalf. Uh, and so that's the welcome that you get to respond to this morning. And so may we do that. May the Spirit help us embrace that. And but before we hop into this text, I, I wanted to say one more thing. Uh, as we think about this summer, if, if you're a part of Northbrook, uh, you know, our, kind of one of our regular rhythms is a, is a good part of our uh, groups kind of take a bit of a break. And one of the things as elders, as we were talking about uh, this summer, and one of the things we, we want to cultivate this summer is just lives of prayer. Uh, and so here, uh, starting in July, we haven't landed on the date yet, uh, but just want to kind of plant the seed of one of the things we're going to do over the summer is kind of go into a period of just what we're going to call 40 days of praying together. Uh, so it's not going to be super orchestrated or super planned, uh, but what we want to do is encourage uh, Northbrook to pray together uh, and to, to put an effort into uh, not just pray. I mean, obviously, hopefully we're praying with our family. Hopefully we're praying with those that are close to us, but continually reaching out and connecting to one another uh, through prayer and, and see what the spirit might do. And so as we, we want to pray about uh, how God could open up opportunities to share the gospel, we want to uh, pray about what we have going on uh, in the summer and the busyness uh, of summer. We, we want to pray about what God's doing at uh, Northbrook and what we hope for him to do. And so we're going to, going to kind of give you some of those ideas, but also just encourage you um, to pray with one another. And so I just wanted to kind of put that idea out there as you will continue to hear uh, more about that in the coming weeks. So 2 Timothy, we are in this series called Last Words, and we're now to Paul's last words of his last words. I think that may have been a dad joke, but I'm not sure. It's just, but this is the end, the end of the letter. This is all, this is his last letter, and this is his, yeah, what he has to, what's he, what he's doing to close this out. He knows death is imminent. I'm not sure he thinks, he knows these are his, his last letters that are going to be penned or not, but, but he knows it's close. Uh, he anticipates that he is going to be on the, uh, in, in a worldly sense, the losing end of this trial. Um, and, and so this is what he has to share uh, with Timothy. And, and one of the things I was just so, I don't know if you, how you heard this passage, but I, as I read this and I've been dwe dwelling on this letter and I've obviously been pouring uh, into this little letter a good bit. And when I first read it, I was like, man, everything Paul has just been encouraging the church and Timothy towards, he just kind of just does. Like in this last, we just see him being a pastor. We just see, like, one of the, my title of this is like a master class in pastoring. It's like Paul's just naturally just doing all the things that he has exhorted and encouraged Timothy to do. And it almost feels like it's effortless. It feels like, yeah, I'm just, I'm sending people out on gospel mission. I'm warning people about this. I'm saying, don't go this way. I'm just, and he's just wisdom and grace. And he's just, he's just doing it. And it's like such a clear picture and such a, to me, it was such an encouraging picture. Like, man, by God's grace, uh, just seeing the, the, this kind of lived out in Paul's life, again, was such an encouragement to me, and, and I hope uh, it will be helpful to you. I actually found it kind of helpful to write some of this in my own words as I was thinking about what this could sound like with Paul saying this, and maybe it'll be helpful to you as I was thinking about this passage. I felt like Paul was saying this to Timothy, hurry and come to me. Demas has left me because he was scared. 
Crescent and Titus have been sent out. Luke is with me. Oh, bring Mark with you. I, I really need him here. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Oh yeah, and I really need my cloak and books and parchments. Please don't forget to bring those when you come to me. When you get here, avoid Alexander the coppersmith. The Lord will take care of him. He stands opposed to the gospel. Again, I say avoid him. At my first trial, no one stood by me. May God show them grace. But God was with me and gave me courage and clarity so that everyone there might hear the gospel. God alone saved me from destruction. And he will save me from all evil as he calls me home to be with him. He alone is worthy of all glory. Amen. And uh, this conclusion of this letter and just how Paul is acting in these moments reminded me of a question I asked a, a pastor recently. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Zach Eswine. We were at a thing with him recently and I was asking him about how to develop as a pastor or whatnot. And he responded to that question with actually uh, with Proverbs 9 and, and talking uh, about wisdom and foolishness and, and the difference between the two. And so I want to read that for us. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 talks about wisdom and then verses 13 through 18 talk about foolishness. And let's just see the difference here. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Hewn? 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 Okay. Uh, she has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Conversely, verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I mean, obviously, what a comparison. The, the quiet dignity of wisdom, the open invitation of hospitality that goes out from wisdom, while foolishness is loud, seductive, and knows nothing. And I, I bring that up because Paul is just living wisdom here. He's just doing it. He's not being flashy about it. It's not a new program. He's not marketing anything. He's just doing it. He's just being wisdom. And I think about wisdom and foolishness in, in our day. And I think there's me and my brother are reading this book called The Air We Breathe. And it referenced this gift that kind of captures uh, some of the wisdom of our day. Maybe many of you have seen this. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't know if I'm blocking it. But it's, are you coming to bed? I can't. This is important. What? Someone is wrong on the internet. Um, and I do think about, so when we think about the wisdom and foolishness of our day, like what foolishness is, is it's loud and it lacks substance. And you think of what Paul's doing here. Paul's not tweeting about Alexander the coppersmith. He's like, no, he, I mean, he may be even be, be in prison because of Alexander the coppersmith. And, and then also, he's not even just like, oh, Tychicus is doing a good thing. I'm going to retweet some support of him. I'm going to post this. No, he's laying hands and sending out. Like, he, he's doing the work. He's being about it. And again, he's not, he's not boasting about it. He's just doing it. It's just his life. It's how he's living. And so much of us in the good or the bad. 
and the things that were against, they lack substance, and even the things that were for lack substance, because we just talk about it, or we just, you know, like, or we just do what, you know, we do whatever is so common in our day, as opposed to just wisdom is quiet and just about the word. I think about parenting in this way. All of us are the best parents before we have kids. It's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly what my kids are going to do. It's going to be great. And then, you know, obviously you have kids. Uh, or that I think about even me, like I love parenting. I have lots to say about parenting. I love kids. I love my kids. I enjoy being a parent. But I have a 13-year-old. It would be really foolish for me to give advice about raising teenagers. I don't know what, I mean, I've, got to, I've been doing it for like a minute. Um, and so, but again, I, I do have a lot of thoughts, and I hope by God's grace some of those thoughts are, are helpful, but, but that's foolishness to, 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 to be loud about something that has not happened in my life. Um, and, and so much of our day and age is, is being really loud about everything um, with everybody as early and as often as we can be. Um, it's just that kind of, yeah, that gift captures it well. And so that's, again, why I was encouraged by Paul. He's just, he's just here doing the work. Wisdom says, I think about, wisdom is like, hey, come, help with the dishes. You know, while folly is like, hey, come, eat and drink of something that was actually never mind. Uh, there, there's, there's quite a difference between wisdom and foolishness. And, and hopefully, this passage will help us see the difference of that uh, in our own life. It's, it's this kind of wisdom. And I just want to acknowledge, one, it's likely none of us are going to be as courageous as Paul. Timothy was not as courageous as Paul. Uh, and, and what I hope is that as we see and hear and uh, consider Paul's, Paul's life here, that it would breathe a wind into ourselves, that it would give us more courage uh, than we have, that it would help us at least know what it looks like for us to pursue wisdom in our life in these different areas that, that Paul is, is going to talk about. Not that Paul's life needs to be this law that we uh, attain, but that by God's grace, he, we, we would desire to be, we would desire to love Jesus like Paul loves Jesus. I, I've said this many times, but there's this gal, Joni Erickson, Johnny Erickson Tata, and uh, she has an incredible story. If you don't know her, Google her and, and look at it. It's just incredible. And I've been to a conference where she's at, and just, when I'm around her, I'm just like, man, I want to love Jesus like she loves Jesus. Like, and this is what I want from, I want Paul, uh, I want the Spirit to do that as we gaze upon uh, Paul's life here. And so we're just going to kind of uh, walk through this passage. There's a lot going on here, so there's not necessarily clear points, but hopefully it'll be helpful either way. Um, I think uh, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Like this is a simple request that Paul is making. Basically he's telling Timothy, no matter what you have to do, no matter how hard it is, I think even in our day, if we're thinking, regardless of how expensive the plane ticket is, regardless of how much sacrifice you need to make, regardless of how this looks like, I need you here with me. Would you come be here with me? Do your best to come to me soon. And I think, again, even the wisdom of that simple request from Paul, I think, presses against much of our... When's the last time you told anybody that? I mean, I think maybe, or, you know, maybe you talk to your wife and kids. Maybe you have enough freedom there. But when is the last time you reached out to someone and said, I need you here? I need you to come to me. I think about my kids. They definitely have that freedom. Uh, I hear that so often. Uh, but but as, as we grow and as we think about life and relationships and, and friends that we even have, when's the last time you reached out to a friend and you're like, man, I just need you. I need you to be here. Can you do whatever possible to come and be here with me? 
Just that simple request. I love the simplicity of Paul's statement. He's simply just telling Timothy, I really need you here. This is wise. Paul simply and straightforwardly communicating his need. In our fool- if we think about the opposite of wisdom, think about our foolishness. In our foolishness, we like to say we don't need anyone. We would, we would be terrified of telling someone that. We would be terrified of communicating to someone that we are actually dependent on them in some way, in a healthy way. Like we actually need their presence with us. Just that, that simple request. There's this uh, line in a Nickel Creek song, uh, if you like them. Okay, a couple fans. Uh, um, it says, you don't owe me one more minute of your wasted time. And uh, it's talking about breaking up, obviously, because it's a song. But I think about uh, that banner. Like some of us have that banner over our life. Like we go into relationships pe- thinking that person is actually wasting their time on us thinking we're not worthy of other people's time, thinking we just don't want to rock the boat, we don't want to cause trouble, we don't, we, don't, we don't want to be too needed here. And Paul is just saying, man, I need you. I need you to come. Would, would you be here with me? When we do that, when we think we are a waste of time, that is foolishness. And now obviously we can swing the pendulum there, can't we? The, the other side of foolishness is that we actually are not just dependent on people in a healthy way, but that we're codependent on people, um, that, that we over need, uh, that, that there is a uh, insufficiency in who Jesus is that, is fill, that we try to fill in with other people. And that obviously is swinging the pendulum. Or we enjoy someone needing us in a codependent way. We enjoy being someone's savior as opposed to Jesus being uh, their savior. I think about Paul, he needs and desires Timothy to be with him, so he communicates this clearly and plainly, but he remains faithful to Jesus even when deserted. Look down at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So he needs Timothy. He needs presence. He needs people. But but he doesn't let that get in the way of him being faithful to Jesus. And so we, we should just consider, and we'll ask these questions along the way as we just look at Paul's life in this way. What does a step towards wisdom look like for you here? Is it just to simply and clearly communicate your need? And maybe it's even just to yourself to admit, oh, I have a need for people. I need people in my life. And I actually feel like I don't. Like you, you're so, that's so ingrained in you that you're like, I'm good. You're pressing through, you're making it happen, you're figuring it out. But God has made you, like he's made you and me to need one another. Um, And and do you even like think that isn't right? Maybe you just need to confess that or ask a question about that or figure out what's, at least be curious about why that's present in your life, why you don't need anyone. Um, What does it look like for you to take a step towards wisdom? Or you realize you have that need and you just need to communicate it. You just need to tell someone, hey, I, I, I just need you. I need you in my life. I need your help. Uh, I, need, I need to meet. I need to talk. Will you pray with me? Um, what, what does that look like for you? Again, or it could be, hey, I have over-needed you. I have relied on you in a way uh, that has been unhealthy. And, and you need to confess a codependency. 
Like you can't say with Paul, all deserted me, but Jesus was faithful to me. You, when you feel deserted, you also feel crushed in a way that is um, leading to despair. And you need to admit your codependence. What does that look like for you? And then he goes on in verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. There's 101 people there at Dalmatia. Uh, <laughs> Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And I just think, again, this is like where you see Paul. He's just living the gospel. He's just doing so. He's like, like most, most uh, pastors, most churches, like this would be the banner of the, their church. This would be like a great marketing strategy. This would be, I mean, this would be so much. And this is just Paul's Tuesday. He's just like, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And, and there's, there's a way we kind of, even I was talking about communicating our need, Paul is not idealistic about relationships. There's Demases that we don't know exactly what's going on here. Maybe Demas walked away from the faith. Maybe he was just sinful. Maybe he was just scared. Maybe we actually really don't know. He could still be a part of the faith, but he just was, you know, scared of Paul being in prison, didn't want to be thrown in prison too. So he left. Again, we don't know what's going on. But Paul's not idealistic about relationships when he communicates his need. He's like, I need you in my life. And I know some of those that he, he knows that there's going to be demons that he needs that ended up betraying or abandoning. Um, and that's part of it. That doesn't keep him from pursuing them. That doesn't keep him from telling these things, things like this to Timothy and to others. He just knows that's going to be uh, a part of it. So he doesn't let that fear get in the way. Some people come and go for good reasons and some people go for bad reasons. And I guess and what we can't let is the, the fear or even the presence of those wounds in our life keep us from admitting the reality that God has made us to need others uh, and need each other. And, and that's what is going on here. And then we get Crescens and Titus and Tychicus. They've all been sent out to do gospel work. And again, Paul says this in such a way that like this sending idea of sending to do gospel work is just like an ordinary thing. It should just be a regular part of our lives that we're sent, that we're being sent, that we're living sent, that we're sending others, that that's what's going on here. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. And then obviously we get Luke, who was with him uh, in this moment. And then there's so much in, in Mark that, you know, if you, if you know your Bible, you know there was a, a sharp dispute. And yet we get here. Now there's a sweet reconciliation that has happened that we don't get a picture of, uh, but that we see Paul and Mark, like Mark is useful to me. Uh, Mark, Mark is super helpful to me in, in gospel work that, that God has called me to. And we see him saying, hey, I need you to, I need you to bring, bring Mark with you. Um, and, and here's the thing I think about, too, like as we think about, uh, now, Paul had no other option, but sometimes I, I, we should praise God for technology. We should praise God for the ways that we can connect with people across the world through technology. But we also should praise God for the fact that real presence is really meaningful. Like it really matters to be present with people. Uh, it really matters that someone is with you and you are with them. And there's something just different about that that we cannot access through technology because that's how we're embodied people. God has not made us technology. He's made us embodied people that need other real presence uh, with us. And so even as we think about using those things, praise God for them. And we should use them for good uh, fruit in our relationships and for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but even as he's calling Mark and calling Timothy, he's like, I need, I need you here. And, and we shouldn't overlook that just because there's other options uh, now. 
And so as we think about wisdom, wisdom sends and receives gospel workers. That's the, that's the beauty of wisdom here. Um, but even before that, by God's grace, if you call upon the name of Jesus, you are a gospel worker. Like this is you. I think about, are, are you Demas? Are you a gospel worker that has uh, made a bad decision and moved away from God in a particular way and, may, and let, let the, the cares of this world or the fears of what's going on in your heart and mind lead you away? Well, by God's grace, you get to come back to Jesus and you get to be Tychicus. That's what the gospel does. That's what grace does in our life. It, it, we, we, get, we get to enjoy everything that Jesus has done for us and we get to desire to proclaim it uh, with the, the totality of our life. And then again, at, and once you return to grace, once you realize the, the, the propensity to be Demas and, and turn away for whatever reason, we get to return to grace and ask, how can we live for the gospel? How, what does it look like to live a life that is given over for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel? And, and I, 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 I mention this because I think sometimes we, we get a little, we have a narrow vision and a narrow focus of what that looks like uh, in our own lives. Sometimes we let people like me or are thinking about the Stabels who are going to go to the Congo. We let those, those kind of unique ways that, you know, okay, this is, looks like God's using you in this particular way. What does that look like for me? And, and we let that have us like, oh, as opposed to, oh, there, like God wants to use us in all of our life. Like what it looks like for God to use you in your life is more than just finding this, oh, I've got to use my gift in this particular way. Oh, I've been gifted, or I've got to find my gift and then I've got to use it. It's like, no, your, your life. You, you, what, what neighborhood are you in? What relationships are you in? What family are you in? Where do you work? The, those are the areas where God wants to use you for the sake of your go the gospel. I, th I think one of the things we, we get that narrow focus because we want it to be a little more, uh, in some ways, difficult. It's actually really simple. It's just a lot harder than we like it to be. Like, it's actually really simple to like, okay, what does God, how does God want to use me for the gospel? Like, God has extended this grace to me. How can I be grace to others? How can I extend this grace? How can I live in light of this grace? It's pretty simple in many ways. It just can be really difficult. I mean, just read the Bible. It's, it's full of difficult struggles. Um, but, but this is what living our life uh, as sent people, as Tychicus, as Crescents, as those that have experienced God's grace and now are wanting to be an image of that grace to any and everyone that we come in contact with. And, and so are you getting, when you think about, oh, what does it look like to live for God? Are you overcomplicating that question? What does it look like to just simply, like, oh God, you've put me where I am. How can I be, how can I point people to you? How can I point brothers and sisters to you? How can you, how can I take opportunity to share the gospel with those uh, that don't know it? How can, you, how can I pray for these opportunities? Again, it's, it's simple, but, but we, can make it, we can make it more complicated. Um, but again, the simplicity doesn't make it easy. Again, often we just want to be in control of what that looks like. So it's like, oh, if I control it, when it's hard, there's unknown and there's struggle and there's fear and there's insecurity, and we hate all of those things, uh, as opposed to, man, those things are present what does it look like for me to acknowledge that? What does it look like for me to seek Jesus in that? What does it look like for me to admit I'm weak and he is strong and I need his help? 
What do those things look like as opposed to, oh, no, God's just going to call me to this clear thing in this clear way, and that's what that's, what that's going to look like. Uh, again, hopefully that's clear. Let's not be distracted by that. There's, there's much grace and wisdom here, and as Paul views all of his relationships through his relationship with God. That's what he does. He just views all of his relationships through his relationship with God. That's the simplicity of it. And here's the thing, that doesn't actually turn people into these weird projects, that's not in the scriptures, that actually deepens his relationships. That actually deepens his desire and love for people. That actually deepens his relationships with both Christians and non-Christians. Even if you happen to be a non-Christian in here, one of the reasons you should desire to know about people's faith um, is because it's a big part of their life. And, and there's no deep relationship of, of between anybody without being able to share all of your life. That doesn't turn people into projects. That turns people into deeper friends. And so Paul just clearly views all of his relationships through the gospel, through who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and that's what he's calling us to. When there's a Demas that's walked away and we need to pray for, when there's others that need to be sent out for the sake of gospel work, that's what Paul is calling us to. What does it look like for you to take a step towards grace and wisdom in these areas? Even if you're going to think, if you were Demas, where are you lured by the, the seductions of this world? Where are you tempted away from viewing your life through the lens of the gospel? And where are you, what does it look like to use your life in that way? Sending should be a regular practice among God's people. Like even as we go on vacation, that we would pray for one another. Like, man, may God bless it. May God send you. May you enjoy the, the fruit of this time. Even as we're, you know, in the job that we've been in for 10 years, maybe we need to pray. Hey, would you pray a prayer of sending over me to this job that I've been going to uh, every week for all these years and I haven't lived in this way? Maybe we're moving Maybe we're in, staying in a neighborhood. Hey, would you pray for me that I would actually live a sent life in this neighborhood? Some of us want to move so we can live that sent life, and maybe we just need to have someone pray that we would actually live that kind of life in the neighborhood that we're in. S sending and being sent should be, again, common in uh, the Christian life. One of the practices we do, I am about to pray for you all, archers just in case you were curious. Uh, so one of the things we've done at Northbrook, because I think about even going to different churches, and I was going to say this, Jonathan and Kayla Knowles, they were with us from the beginning, and they uh, moved closer to the paradox, and the paradox moved closer to them, so they left, but then on their last day, uh, a kid was sick, and so I didn't get to pray for them. But I sent the prayer to him. It was great. Um, I don't know why I'm bringing that up right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember <laughs> Uh, it's because one of the things that like leaving churches, going to a different churches, moving, sometimes that can just be difficult and be hard. And to be honest with you, at Northbrook, as long as there's not like sin present or anything, we want to make that as easy as possible. And we want to send people and we want people to be encouraged in the grace of God uh, as they go. And so what a practice we've had for people that were at Northbrook at the very beginning, you know, from launching with us, when they move on, we pray for them, we bless them, uh, and we encourage them as they go. And so Blake and Sarah Archer, this is their last Sunday. Oh, yep. Uh, and uh, they are going to Waco. Uh, and even as I think about wisdom, I think about their life. They're like, they're so, uh, like you, 
they just they're just doing life and they are just loving Jesus and they just serve they they've served in so many different ways and you may not even see or know because they're just they're so quiet about it they're just doing it uh, and it's such an encouragement to me they're just getting all kinds of degrees and just making it happen uh, and so Blake's about to go uh, do a residency in Waco Sarah's got a PA they just acted like oh yeah we just did that no big deal um, and uh, and so we're as we, they go out we're gonna they've got a, a luckily they they've connected with a new church and so. We're just going to kind of continue this practice and pray over them. So if you know Blake and Sarah, uh, y'all can go ahead and stand just as we pray for you. Sorry. I know that y'all hate that probably. Uh, but, and then if y'all around them, just want to lay hands on them, if you know them. So. And again, even this moment, I, I, I would hope this to be uh, maybe a more extreme moment, but that God would bless many moments like this in our life where we make a practice of praying over and sending people out uh, in God's grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for how much you have encouraged me and my wife and our family through Blake and Sarah. I thank you for the work that you're doing in and through them for your good pleasure, how you're sanctifying them, how you're showing your gospel to them, how you're loving them, how they're receiving your love and desire to continue to be faithful to you. God, I thank you for the tears and the sadness of them leaving from, from their end and from our end. That that's a sign of your work and your love and your grace uh, that we get to enjoy together. And yet, I, I pray for a quickness of quick relationships, of quick connection at a church, of quick gospel fruit in their life. I pray that you bless them and bless their family and that these next uh, few years, uh, whatever that, however many years that turns into, that it would be uh, a fruitful, two year, fruitful years of just more of you, Jesus, for them. What a good God you are. So we praise you and thank you for them and bless them on their way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, sending should be a regular practice of our life, and we should view our relationships through the sake of the gospel. Blake, Sarah, thank you for letting us pray over y'all. Verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Again, I think Paul just makes his simple desire and request known. He's going to be in a Roman prison through the winter, so he wants a coat, so he's not going to be cold. Uh, to be honest with you, even that, I think there's wisdom there. Some of us are like, we're so trying to be on the trusting God, you know, whatever, that we're like, forget that we have needs. Forget that God made us physical people that get cold and get hot and need things to, uh, and so Paul is just saying, hey, I've got a need here. Would you bring me a coat? It's going to get cold. And then he wants things to read and write with. Now, to be honest with you, we, we don't really know exactly what this is. This could be the Hebrew scriptures. This could be some early Christian writings. It could be something else. We, we're really not sure. Uh, but it's most likely something to read and something to write with. Uh, he needs tools to just continue his gospel work. Um, and that's what he is asking for. And, and I think even now, it's not like what, if you could do anything in your last moment, what would you do? Because he's in prison, so it's not like he could do anything. Uh, but if you were in prison and you knew you were about to die, what would you desire? Paul desires to continue to grow, continue to learn. These are the scriptures. He continues to desire to seek God through the scriptures. And, and again, it's not like some of us would think, I, I've heard of like a, 
you know, an atheist that was about to die and was reading the Bible and like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm looking for a loophole. Um, or, or I think about some of us that we would maybe uh, spend our last moments, you know, reading the Bible because it was like, oh, you know, I need to kind of do the best I can before I die. I don't get that. Paul loves Jesus and he loves intimacy with him and he loves being with him in this life. And so like he, 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 that's what he desires to do with the last moments of his life. Uh, it is intimacy with God, with continue to encourage people in the gospel. He's not frantically trying to fulfill any desire. He's like, man, these are where my desires, this is how God has shaped me and grown me, and this is what I'm desiring. This is what he's asking to do. Um, and, and I think even as we think about the, the things that are most important in our life like that, gospel encouragement, intimacy with Jesus, we need remarkably little to do those things. Like We need very little in our life. I mean, he asked for a jacket and a couple things. And, and that's what, I mean, what, what more do we need? But to be honest with you, how much, how distracted are we by all the things that we have? Like when we think about what's most important in our life, we really need very little to press into those things in a God-honoring, gospel kind of way. But we're distracted by so many other things. I mean, obviously the most easy thing to pick on is just our phone. Like a thing that can be used for gospel encouragement and gospel work and help, but how often it's used for everything but that. Um, we, uh, I think it was Wes last night where we were at Guy's Night, and he was talking about uh, this joke where he was like, you know, an app that causes the most productivity, and it's just an app that turns your phone off. Um, and uh, how, how, yeah, we, all, we all laugh at that so clearly because it's so true. It's like, wow, if I just turn my phone off and, and focus on what it looked like to encourage the people around me, encourage the people God's sending to me, um, we, we need really remarkably little uh, to do that. Um, so just consider what do you have in your life that you can use to encourage others? What would that look like? Um, maybe another thing to consider is just how, how, how much do you think of intimacy with God as a deep joy that you experience in this life? And maybe some of you just need to admit that's just not the case. You just need to humbly confess, man, that, that is nowhere near what I would think about doing with the last moments uh, of my life. Um, and how do we pursue the wisdom that, that Paul offers us here? Then verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. Now, again, if you think down to verse 16, uh, Paul says people abandoned him, but prays for them to experience God's grace. Here, Paul definitely seems to proclaim God's judgment in some kind of way. And I think, again, this is an example of wisdom. The right word at the right time. The right word for the right moment. And here's, as we think about Alexanders, uh, some of us think everybody's an Alexander. Some of us are just, in a, maybe it's not out loud, but even in our hearts and our minds, we're going around proclaiming God's judgment on anything that we think is wrong. We think anybody, everybody that does, differs from us in any way is an Alexander, like that guy on the keyboard. He's, man, everybody's an Alexander to him. Um, but then, obviously, the flip side is some of us think no one is an Alexander. And we lay, live a life of 
naivety where we think there's not real evil in the world and people that desire to do real evil and real people that oppose who God is and what he wants to do in the world. So we think everybody's that way that disagrees with us on almost anything or we think no one's that way and we, we live, uh, we're just naive. But, but Paul is saying there are Alexanders in the world. Uh, I like what one commentator said. He says, Paul's objection to Alexander and exhortation to Timothy do not reflect some petty or personal narrowness on Paul's part. They rather reflect apostolic conviction that to oppose the gospel message is the gravest of errors and affront to Christ's lordship. While there are some opponents whom Timothy should gently instruct, Alexander is by his own choosing in a different category. And again, we had to have kind of you know, do we even realize that there's, those are different kinds of things and we do treat people in different ways? And even Paul's statement, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds, is gracious in its harshness. Would that Alexander would hear that and humble himself and repent and be like, oh, I don't want to be opposed to the gospel. But Paul is saying clearly he, he is. It just We should treat people differently. First Thessalonians 5.14 and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Sometimes we come across idle people. Sometimes we come across faint-hearted people. Sometimes we come across weak people. Wisdom is knowing how to care for, intend to, and respond to the person in front of you. And often for us, wisdom is admitting we don't know what that is. Like, even as I say that, we're like, oh, I want to get that right. I want to I do exactly what I'm supposed to do. And a lot of times wisdom is like, I'm actually not sure what to do. I'm actually not sure how to respond to this person. I'm actually not sure if this person in my life is an Alexander or a Demas. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on here. And, and we need help. And we need help from Jesus. And we need help uh, from others. Just because Paul could so clearly exercise this wisdom, doesn't, we shouldn't feel too big for our britches and think, oh, we're just as good as that. I've got that figured out. I can do that perfectly. Uh, sometimes wisdom is us just admitting we're actually not sure uh, what to do uh, in different situations. Um, but again, I think even if we don't do that, what we'll end up doing right, is we'll just engage people how we're comfortable engaging them. Like if we're just the overly gracious person, everybody's awesome all the time, that's how we're going to engage everybody. And it's actually foolish at times. Or we're the hyper-judgmental person, and that's how we're going to, we're just going to engage people how is natural to us unless we actually seek to grow and how to engage people that in a, in a way is best for them. What, how, would, how does Jesus, how would Jesus want to uh, encourage them? So again, the question, what does it look like for you to grow in wisdom? Do you know that there's Alexanders in your life that you need to be clear with or that you even need to avoid? Um, that you need to be clear in your rebuke of? Or again, do you treat everyone like an Alexander and you need to confess that your, your harshness is coming from your pride, not uh, the spirit? What does it look like for you to grow in wisdom? And then verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. This, uh, message, this passage is most likely referring to Paul's first defense, and one commentator describes it this way. Among all the Christians in Rome, there was not one who would stand at his side in court either to speak on his behalf or to advise him in the conduct of his case or to support him by a demonstration of sympathy. But Paul, 
is he, even though he's unashamed about his need for others, but even when all forsake him, he is strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's, there's so much wisdom here. He, he's practicing what he preached. We, we remember from 2 Timothy 2.1, telling Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is, is doing this. He's practicing what he's preaching, but it's not even just practicing what he's preaching in life because sometimes it's good when everything's going, bad or going great, but in like the worst moment of his life, he's saying, this is where I find my hope. When all else has felt, he's not turning to anything else, but he's turning back to this Jesus that has been so good to him. There's so much wisdom here. Paul in no way downplays the suffering he's experiencing. He's not minimizing it. He's not washing over it. He's clearly describing it. He felt abandoned by everybody. It was super hard. It was really difficult. And he in no way minimizes that. But he also, even in the midst of that, proclaims the sufficiency of Jesus. And then he doesn't stop there. He's saying all of this happens so that he actually might have the opportunity to proclaim the good news to those that don't know it. Sometimes we're honest about our suffering and we turn to Jesus, but then we, we just stop there. It's kind of a, this inward focus. Those are good things, so I wouldn't say don't do that. But Paul's saying, man, all of that is that I had the opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is to all that were there. Like, like what, what an what a outward focus. What an what a, what a other-centered kind of like, I love all that Jesus has done for me, and I want to just continually to share that with anybody that might listen. This is what Paul is continually doing with his life. There's so much grace and wisdom here. What does it look like for us to embrace the hardness of life, not minimize it in any way, yet cling to the sufficiency of Christ? Uh, Aaron had, is Aaron in here somewhere? Uh, Aaron had the idea of our kids writing a, a psalm. Uh, they were going through the psalms, and, and they're, so they're writing a psalm and learning that practice of what it looks like to cry out to God in the midst of life. And Wyatt actually read his to me this morning, and he told me, uh, Gin, did she leave? Ginger leave? Oh, okay. Uh, Ginger, after she read it to him, he read it to her, sorry, uh, she was like, are you Okay. Um, like, is everything all right? But he was just, and then he read to me, and I get why she asked that. Uh, but it was, it was so sweet. It, it was because so, uh, I was just like, hey, what, what are you thinking about as you write this psalm? And he talked about some, a big change he has coming up in his life. He's talked, he talked about sin that he has in his life, and he, and he was depicting that and describing that and not minimizing those in any way, but trying in his own little 11-year-old heart and mind, figure out what it looks like to, to trust and, and seek Jesus in that. And now, by God's grace, what I hope him to do, like Paul does, is look for opportunities to share that with any that would hear. That, that Jesus is this good to him. That Jesus actually cares about these hard areas of his life. And, and, and that he can be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. That's what we see Paul doing here. And so what does that look like for us? What does that look like for you? Uh, to continue to work through life in that way. And then finally, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. One commentator, I like how he summed this up. He said, eventually the beast won in earthly terms. While Paul tells Timothy, I was delivered from the lion's mouth, and was no doubt happy to report it, indications are that eventually the grace of preservation morphed into the grace of martyrdom for Paul. 
Paul has already faced and reflected on this contingency in Philippians 1. The sobering possibility of dying for Christ was as fundamental to Paul's theology of the cross as were joyful possible as were the joyful possibility and necessity of living for Christ. What grace present here. The, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Now, now in this context, Paul is, is, I think, clearly meaning the evil deeds done against him. That, that there was real evil done against him from real people. And he's saying, the Lord's going to rescue me from that. And, and that's like, should encourage us. That should, like, people, again, there are Alexanders in the world. There are people that actually mean harm to us and harm for us. And some of us have weird kind of theologies going on where we, we don't acknowledge that. that. That's a real thing. I think even sometimes like, in, and I, I, I like a bad guy I can relate to. That's fine. But in most movies, a lot of movies, there's not a real bad guy. And I think some of that is a minimization of our culture of evil. Like there's, just like, there's actually really bad guys. There's really bad people that do evil things. And some of us minimize that. And Paul is saying, that's true. And God's going to rescue me from them all. But, but I can't help, even though that's not his emphasis, I can't help but also be thinking, man, I have a ton of evil deeds in my life. And I keep adding to them. And, and I'm going to be rescued from every single one of them. Well, grace upon grace. That, that, that God will bring me safely home to him. Despite the evil done to me, and despite the evil I do to others, I get to trust Jesus that he has conquered all of that, that it is finished in him. I mean, the, the grace here, the, the wisdom here, is that Paul's ready to die. He, he's just, he's ready to die. Uh, I, was, I think it's uh, Richard Baxter, he's talking, one of the chief aims of the pastor is to prepare people to die. I don't know how that hits you, but that's one of the chief aims of the scriptures is to prepare all of us to, to be ready to meet our maker. Hidden in everything that Jesus has done for us. That's the only thing Paul boasts in. It's the only thing he has confidence in is that Jesus is, is strong enough to do this. Jesus is strong enough, strong enough to call him safely home. Paul was ready to die. And, and I pray that, that the Lord grants us long, fruitful lives of gospel ministry but if it's, that's not his sovereign will for our life, are we ready? It's a good, healthy thing to be ready. And that's what Paul encourages us towards here. Again, like Paul, if you are a Christian, we have every reason to have the same confidence that he has in facing death. Looking forward to, to being with the one that has been so good to us throughout our life. Okay, to wrap this up, there's a lot here. I told you it's a master class in pastoring. And again, Paul makes it seem like just an ordinary Tuesday in his life. And I, we should just be blown away by all he does. And I pray, again, I pray as I, I did at the beginning that it breathes wind into the cells of our life that Paul's boldness and courage and wisdom and grace will empower us to live for Jesus in these same ways. Paul has modeled for us gracious love. And again, he can do that because he has been strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I just close again by, I pray that we wouldn't see Paul's life as this law that's laid on our life, but that we would desire to love Jesus like Paul loves Jesus. 
That we would desire to receive love from Jesus like Paul receives love from Jesus. And the more that we continue to do that, the more we'll see this grace and wisdom continue to grow in our life. Not just so that we will enjoy it, but that anybody that would hear might enjoy it as well. Let me pray for us towards that end. Lord Jesus, I I think about how you lead us in every way. I think about even how you led us in death. That you didn't stay removed from it, but that you entered into this life and into this world, that you would experience that and eventually conquer it on our behalf. That the grace and mercy that is available through your life, your cross, your resurrection, your ascension and rule and reign, even now, came at great cost. Again, that you're not foreign to the struggles of this world. You're not foreign to the struggles Paul experienced. That's why he could cry out to you as someone who related that you're not foreign to the struggles that we all experience. But yet you experienced the temptation even more, but never gave in. That even as we cry out in our temptation, our insecurity, our fear, our struggle, our lack of courage, our lack of wisdom, we can cry out to you who's someone who who knows. And so, Spirit, we ask you to do a work. Would you just grow us in this? The message of 2 Timothy and all that you have for us in this, would it actually not just stay on these pages, but Spirit, would you bring it into our lives? Would you help us live it? Would you help us confess it? Would you help us, uh, when we see ourselves turning from it, turn back to you and enjoy your grace? And uh, again, fresh grace and encouragement to, to follow you with this little bit of time we have. And then, Spirit, would you prepare us to die? Would you prepare our hearts and minds that we could um, face death with the grace and mercy that is available in Christ so that we actually might live lives given over to Him. And so this is a miraculous work that none of us can do on our own, so we need your help. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.